Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a what? Crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. Amen. Exalting Jesus in the service is what the church is supposed to do. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Amy, for doing that very thing. Now is the time we're going to exalt Jesus in his word. So turn, if if you would, 1 Corinthians 12. And if you are a little one or have a little one and you're up through grade four and you'd like to be in a integrated service downstairs, you can do that now. Meet your teachers as you see them going out in the foyer. At the close of the service, you can pick them up downstairs. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the place where we'll be studying in the Word of God today. My voice is a little messed up um, this morning, a little lower than usual and more gravelly, but I spent the weekend in New York City yelling at the top of my lungs for our 4x8 team from LCA who got to go to Nationals. They placed, uh, they placed 7th out of 30 national teams that are nationally ranked and ran PRs. Every one of them ran PRs and it ran an 801, 800. So it's just a fantastic time, and of course, thousands of people all there screaming, so it's really hard to make your particular athlete hear your voice unless you're really, really loud. So anyway, so anyway, you pardon my uh, gravelly, but we're going to have a great time together in the study and uh, just rejoicing in being a dad this morning. We uh, talk about spiritual gifts. As you can see up there, that isn't one, and uh, of course, that doesn't happen around here, so I don't worry about it, but God's plan for a healthy church is study through the books of First and Second Corinthians. That's what we're doing, verse by verse. Uh, chapter by chapter, working our way through comparing Scripture with Scripture so that we can see what it means, what does it mean by what it says, and how does that apply to me. In particular, we've been looking at conduct in the church. Once we hit about chapter 10, Paul turns his focus from general things in the Corinthian church to actually what's going on when they meet together, and so he brings those things to their attention, and spiritual gifts is our focus. Ken Hill's book, Discovering Your True Self Through Spiritual Gifts, he uses this illustration, which I want to read to you, which I really liked. A man named Ira Yates was operating a sheep ranch in the rolling hills of West Texas. Business wasn't generating enough money to pay the principal and interest on his mortgage, so he ended up living on a government subsidy. His days were filled with stress over the financial concerns of his family, of course. They lived and dressed and ate in poverty. One day, though, a seismological crew asked if they might explore his land for oil. Yates agreed, signed the lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge reserve of oil. First well produced about 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells generated more than twice that amount. 30 years later, one of those wells is still generating 125,000 barrels a day. Vast sea of wealth Yates had been sitting on all the time. It's known as Yates Pool. He was a multimillionaire who had spent years in heart-wrenching poverty and yet sat right on top of unrealized resources that he already possessed. And that's very much like what goes on and needs to go on in the church. The Lord has provided infinitely greater resources than those to every single believer in order to accomplish ministry with an eternal impact. That's the only way we can make ministry with eternal impact is by using resources the Lord has given us. So to sit on those spiritual resources and not use them really leaves the believer in a place of frustrated uh, poverty, if you will, spiritually. To sit and not doing anything and not plugging yourself in sits, you sit in frustrated poverty. Really outside of the rich and satisfying feeling of, and place of usefulness for kingdom purposes that the Lord really desires for every believer to be in. And so you're dwelling on a reserve of ability empowered by the Lord. He's really waiting for you to understand its ability and, and that untapped resource. 
And so that really is, I think, sets us up to help us understand what the Lord's about to say. I think we minimize this a little bit or we try to categorize it a lot and somehow think that maybe we don't have what we need or somehow other people have it and we don't or whatever it is. But I hope that as we work our way through the study, you're able to be really revitalized if you're sitting in a place where you're not, you're not serving somewhere in ministry, realizing that we're missing you, you're missing us, and you're missing out on an untapped resource that the Lord can use for his kingdom purposes. And we're going to, as we get into it, we're going to see all these different ways that Paul's going to illustrate spiritual gifts, and he's going to use the body to do it. And it's really going to be enriching, I hope, a study for you. As he deals with some, some problems in the Corinthian church, we can see that those can be prophylactic. We can deal with those in advance, but they can also be, and they can also be corrective uh, if the problems are there. But I think overall, it could be encouraging to say, okay, here's, the, here's some lists of things that the Lord has provided. Where do I fit in this whole scheme, and where can I plug in? to be useful and tap those resources for kingdom purposes. Look together, if you would, with me at 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Paul starts this way. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. So get into this discussion, then, of the Corinthian believers' conduct in meetings, in particular with the use of their spiritual gifts. Paul is obviously answering some questions that have to do with being spiritual. Some in the Corinthian church that had brought some questions to Paul's attention about what it looked like to be spirit-controlled, they were new in Christ. Uh, the church, as we've seen, had been given all the spiritual gifts. We saw that in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, uh, back in 1 Corinthians 12. They needed to minister to each other to make uh, the Holy Spirit known. But once again, the culture was salting the church. And so they, their background in pagan worship, their background in ecstatic utterances and voices of the gods was really making its way into church services, along with the true representation of spiritual gifts. And so they want to know what it looks like, and you can imagine they're writing a letter or they're bringing it by word of mouth, and they're telling Paul, and we looked at the, the sources possible for Paul a couple weeks ago. We won't go through that again, but Paul gets word of what's going on in the church, and really the essence of the question is, what does it look like to be truly controlled by the Holy Spirit? Because they're seeing all kinds of things going on. And because we know from previous passages that Paul had really passed down to them all the traditions that they needed in order to, uh, everything they needed to know in order to be fruitful in the ministry, this is going to be uh, a repeat because he was their pastor for 18 months. Obviously, Paul's going to pass all this stuff down. He was known for his lengthy sermons and taking time to disciple. So they understood. Uh, they had received, if you will, all this information. But this is going to be a repeat. And Paul uh, gives some discerning uh, ones there in Corinth what they need to know, some principles they need to know to help them figure out what's going on. So first he makes it clear in verse 2. And you can look there. And I just I won't uh, read through them all again. Just I'm going to give you the, the high points. Verse 2, he just makes this clear. If the Holy Spirit's at work, it's not going to mimic pagan worship practices of their past. They had all kinds of pagan worship practices where they were carried along unbeknownst to them and did all these things they couldn't control. Paul says it's not going to be like that. Secondly, verse 3, he tells them the ultimate criteria of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever is going on inside the church, it's going to exalt Jesus as Lord. It's not going to exalt an individual. It's not going to be focused on a bunch of other things. The main thing is going to be Jesus as Lord. In other words, the content is the most important part. So as they're listening to what's going on, they should be able to determine that Christ is being exalted. And so those really two simple principles, I think, helped to weed out a lot of the stuff that was going on in the Corinthian church. It seems just obvious to us. Obviously, it's not going to be mindless chatter. Obviously, it's not going to be exalting something else. Paul just says these two things are going to help you discern a lot of the stuff that's going on and whether or not that person is spirit controlled. So in Corinth, the spiritual ones are asking a question, how can we know if this person is spiritual? Paul answers, he says, you're going to know it because it won't be like it was when you worship dumb idols, and you're going to know it because of the centrality of the message of Jesus' lordship. Then he moves to verses 4 through 7. 
And really here Paul begins the second facet of the instruction on spiritual gifts, where he gives some general principles concerning spiritual gifts before he gets to the gifts themselves. Look at verse 4, if you would. And Paul says this, Now there are varieties of gifts with the same Spirit, verse 5, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord, verse 6, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In other words, as we looked at this, I won't dwell here, there's a wide range of combinations of gifts that have been distributed. And we saw that illustrated in Romans 12. Okay, And if, if that's the case then, and it is, then there's a wide range of combinations of ministries that are going to be happening. If there's a wide range of gifts given to individual believers according to the faith that God has given and in the measure he's determined, then because of that, that wide variety, there's going to be a wide variety of ministries going on. And that's going to be as unique in the combination uh, of all those ministries and as diverse and as distinctive as the gift of God's grace and the measure of faith that he gives to each person, as we saw in Romans 6, uh, or Romans 12, 6, rather that uh, God gives to each believer to accomplish ministry of the Spirit in his church. So it's going to be very diverse, very diverse gifts uh, across the spectrum, and very diverse ministries because you're specially equipped to minister to some individual or some group that no one else is gifted to minister to. And that's why when you're not working in the church, when you're not plugged in, we're, we're lacking. And, and you're lacking as well because you're sitting on an untapped resource that the Lord has given to benefit the church. So verse 6 then says, if he says those two things, if one is true, then the other has to be true. And then he says there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. In other words, there's a wide variety of outcomes, which just follows, doesn't it? A wide variety of gifts spread over the spectrum, a wide variety of ministries because you're specially equipped to minister to certain groups of people, and then there's going to be a wide variety of effects. So the outcome, the, the profit, if you will, that's the word, the profit of that uh, outcome uh, of your gift being ministered to is going to vary. And that's exactly what we see in the church. Uh, different kinds of outcome from faithful ministry. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. On the other hand, variety, variety, variety. And so one God, one Christ, one spirit, which means he has one will, and then the gifts and ministries and effects are all different. So Paul's first general principle relating to the gifts of the spirit is that in the church, there is a contrast going on. Unity, within the will of the Spirit, within the will of the Lord, within the will of God, because those are the three, uh, as we see the Trinity expressed there, and diversity within the varieties of gifts and the varieties of ministries and the varieties of effects. And, beloved, that is where God's will is best exhibited, see? That variety that goes on in the church. When that's happening, when there's a wide variety of ministries going on, and uh, where it's just wide variety of gifts being used, and then the effects that are a large variety of effects, that is the Lord's will. That's how he adds to his church. He does that through those varieties. So, as we close last time, really the unity of God desires, it's, it's, you know, the unity that God desires, let's get this straight, the unity that God desires is best expressed in the diversity that he adds to his church. So the more diverse the background, the more diverse groups of people are coming to minister, the more we're expressing the unity of God in his church. Now Paul's next two principles really take the believer uh, for they've all been given gifts of grace to the church. They take in everyone who's a believer. Now look at verse 7. But to each one, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, very interesting. Correctly functioning spiritual gifts, this is that first principle. Correctly uh, functioning spiritual gifts make the Holy Spirit's presence in the church clear. So, as we see gifts functioning, it manifests the Holy Spirit. That's what's supposed to happen. And secondly, your gifts of the Spirit are not for you. 
So just wants to clarify, as Paul, as I told you before, a lot of these is I, I've separated them out into tests of the Spirit and then gifts of the Spirit. But you could back these back in easily enough at the beginning and just say, hey, you know, as you're looking at what's going on in the, in the, in the church, Paul tells the people there, whatever is happening, is it, is it making the Holy Spirit's presence clear in the church? Or are people like, what in the world is going on? Because we're going to see this later. As we get later into chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, Paul says that's exactly what's happening. People are coming in and going, what are you guys doing in here? They have no idea what's going on in the church. Visitors come to the church they're like, are you guys drunk? What's the matter with you? So obviously, we could back some of these in. I'm just kind of breaking them out and saying, listen, in general, the functioning gifts of the, whole, uh, of the Holy Spirit make the Holy Spirit's presence obvious, and your gifts of the Spirit are not for you. So there's no way that whatever you're doing, Paul says, should be bringing attention to yourself. It wasn't given so the believer with the gift could be exalted and glorified, or somehow that be a spiritual test of your, at some higher spiritual level. Paul says that's not what it's about at all. It wasn't given to draw attention to you. The revealing of the gifts in the life of the believers is for the advantage of the church. So the more the church is benefited, the more the Holy Spirit is magnified, and that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. So the church will have what it needs. So the church can meet the needs that come up inside the church. And the focus is off of the individual because God is all and in all. He's the one functioning through these gifts and making the outcome happen. He's distributed the gift according to his will, and he's given the gift of faith along with the grace gift so that it could be applied. So God's at work. When it's functioning correctly, the Holy Spirit's magnified. He magnifies Jesus. When it's functioning correctly, the gifts of the Spirit are benefiting the church and not the individual. He loves the church. He's equipped it by the Holy Spirit to be and do all it needs to be and do. So gifts are not given for rivalry, as, we, as we're going to see in, in Corinth, and for jealousy, but for the common good. That's the point of all of it. Spiritual gifts are always given to be used, to be used in such a way as to edify the whole body of believers, not some individual possessor of the gift. Now, in this next section, Paul moved from the general principles regarding spiritual gifts to the actual gifts themselves. And, and Paul moves into the gifts that are to allow us to serve one another. So in other words, it's not just random. Well, maybe that's a spiritual gift, like the one we saw at the opening slide, the gift of criticism or, or the gift of gab that we saw last week. Okay, is that a spiritual gift? No, Paul's going Paul's to say these are the gifts. Okay, now they're going to be applied in varying measures according to the gift of faith. Okay, all these things we've looked at all apply. And, you know, you have, may have a couple people with similar gift sets, but because of the way God's given it in faith and by his grace, they're going to be different opportunities for ministry and different outcomes, even though they're similar gifts amongst people. So all that applies. But these are the gifts Paul's going to begin to name that are the way the church is going to serve each other. And it will really have a clarifying effect on this Corinthian church. Uh, they know some basic tests to help them understand whether someone is controlled by the Holy Spirit or not. And they know the purpose of the gifts to demonstrate the, God's will, to make the Holy Spirit visible, and to benefit the church. Now Paul wants them to be able to identify some of the gifts in action. And so that's why he's going to go through this. Now before we do that, I want to just look at 1 Peter 4 really quick because we're going to have to find a way to kind of classify these gifts. And there's some other clues as we look in the New Testament that help us do that. I want to look at a couple things here because it's very important, I think. And what it seems to do for us is divide up the gifts into two categories. And then it repeats for us four important principles that we've already seen. Okay, so you see Peter talking about gifts and he gives us some added insight. He's going to split it into two categories. And then it's going to repeat some of the some of these principles that we've seen. So let's look at the first part of 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now let's pause right there. Now you can see right away as you hear that, we've already looked at that language, haven't we? 
First of all, we see again, you've received a spiritual gift. Same wording. And we've seen that several times already. Romans, we saw it. First Corinthians, we saw it. We see it again here in First Peter. You have received a spiritual gift. So sitting there and thinking, I don't really have anything I can add, just really kind of uh, you know, violates what we've just seen three different times. You do. If you're born again, the Lord has specially gifted you with unique abilities that you wouldn't have had outside coming to know Christ as your Savior and, and having the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So you have received a spiritual gift. Secondly, we see, and this is all in your notes, you can copy this down if you'd like, your gift is for someone else. Same thing we saw in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It's not for you, okay? Employ it in serving one another. So it's for someone else. It's for the benefit of a group of people or an individual or whatever to benefit the church so the church can do what it needs to do and be what it needs to be and handle the issues that come up. God loves the church. He's equipped it to make sure it's completely capable of taking care of its needs, okay? Now, thirdly, we do it to be a good steward. And it is, you know, you can see this, you must, be, you must use it in order to be a good steward. It's, it's God's gift, so we are to manage it well. We've seen that over and over again. It's, it's a grace gift. Obviously, if it's a gift, it's to be managed well. Now, mark this, just like your body in 1 Corinthians, yeah, Corinthians 6, just like your material goods in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the same here, same language, okay? It all belongs to God, 1 Corinthians 12, 6. We're to use it to its fullest extent for his glory. So you were supposed to be a good steward. It's a grace gift. And just like the same language we see with your body in 1 Corinthians 6, that it belongs to the Lord, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit, glorify God then with your body. Just like your material goods that all belong to the Lord, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness, and yet you do possess some material possessions, right? The Lord has given it out in his mercy and in his grace, and you are a good steward, are supposed to be a good steward of that. The way you manage that, the way you give, and all those things measure the stewardship that you have, just like that same language, it's exactly the same with spiritual gifts. It all belongs to God. We're to use it to its fullest extent for his glory. Now we get to uh, the indication of two categories in verse 11. Now, verse 11 says this. Here's the two categories. Whoever speaks, okay, you hear the first one, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength that God supplies. Now, I set them all together, but I want to go back and just break down that first uh, that first section, whoever speaks, that's speaking gifts, okay? And right now we're not distinguishing, listen, we're not distinguishing between temporary sign gifts and permanent edifying gifts in the church. And we're going to do that, okay, as we work our way through. Temporary sign gifts, which we understand we're given, and then we'll explain this. And we've gone through this before, so if you've been here a while, you understand this. Temporary sign gifts, which were given uh, for a temporary time to verify what was going on in the church and as a sign to the Jews and all those things we'll look at again we're not deter differentiating between those two right now, okay? We're just looking at the two things that Peter says. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Now, a couple things I want you to look at. So hold your finger here. We've got a few minutes, so I want to do this. I wasn't sure I would have you turn. Turn to Romans 12, 6. Will you do that? Turn to Romans 12, 6. And I'm going to have you turn to three, diff four diff three or four different places here that are close together. Hold your finger in 1 Corinthians 12. But turn to Romans 12, 6. We're going to see some speaking gifts right now, okay, in several different places. So you can kind of just begin to assemble this in your mind about what Peter is going to be talking about and what Paul is talking about as well. So Romans 12, 6, let's look there. All right, you see the sense we have, all right, Romans 12, 6, since we have... Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And that's just kind of refer referring back to what we talked about. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, 
or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives, see where we are, with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's just stop right there, all right? Now we're going to look again in another place, but I want you to see something. We see some speaking gifts there, and we see some serving gifts there, don't we? Okay? If you look at Romans 12, 6, in speaking gifts, we see what? Prophecy. He who teaches, teaching, obviously, is a speaking gift. He who exhorts, so that's one person going to another person, encouraging them, correcting them, whatever it might be. So exhorting, obviously, speaking gifts. And we see some serving gifts there, don't we? So Paul says we have, if you serve, if you give, if you lead, and if you have mercy shown. So serving gifts are listed there, and speaking gifts are listed there, right? And so Peter says, listen, there's two ways we can break, we can break these gifts up into two different ways, speaking gifts, serving gifts. And we see in Romans, again, that illustration, kind of broken up into two. Now, turn, if you would, uh, back to 1 Corinthians 12, but look at verses 8 through 10, if you would, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. All right. Read with me. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Verse 10. And to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All right? Let's stop right there. Now, again... As Peter has divided it for us in 1 Peter 4.10, or 4.11, rather, he says this. He's, we have some speaking gifts. What are they? 1 Corinthians 12.8, well, we see word of wisdom. Obviously, the word logos, that's a speaking gift. We're speaking wisdom. Uh, word of knowledge, again, speaking gift. We see prophecy, obviously, if, if it's going to be uh, foretelling of events or foretelling, it's going to be speaking. Various kinds of tongues, obviously. By its definition, speaking gift, uh, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So those gifts are listed, and they fall into the correct category of speaking gifts. Now, in the same passage, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, we see some serving gifts, don't we? Paul says you have a gift of faith, we have the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, and the distinguishing of spirits. And those are serving gifts. And so, once again, divided into two categories. And once again, we're not... To, we're not uh, distinguishing between temporary side gifts and permanent edifying gifts right now. We're just seeing what gifts are in play while the writers are writing here and what are they, what are they addressing. Because they're mentioning these, we should, we should look at them. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So you're right in the same chapter. Just go forward to verse 28. Verse 28, see it says, And God, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And then he goes, not all are apostles, right? Not, okay, so we see some, again, gifts of the Spirit. So in 1228, those that are speaking gifts would be what? Those who are apostles, those who are prophets, those are teachers. And then we see some others there, right? Don't we? We see in verse 1228, we see... Um, gifts of helps, we see gifts of administration, we see some other things there. So once again, we divide those things up, and we can see speaking gifts, we can see serving gifts, all right? Now, last place you're going to turn, Ephesians 4, verse 11, okay? Turn to Ephesians 4, 11. First and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So just flip over a few books, and you'll be there. 
this is this is all for free okay just kind of consider this a uh, infomercial if you will all right so Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 we're going to get back and kind of break this down but I just want you to kind of see this I mean this is very it just kind of comes out pops out at you once you realize Peter says look they're speaking gifts they're serving gifts and then we can kind of see them at work and so first uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 he says this and he gave some apostles and some as prophets and some as uh, evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we see in Ephesians 4.11, we see speaking gifts. What are they? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And then I've also moved um, in, in serving gifts, I've also moved that uh, pastors down, that gift of the Lord has given to the church pastors because that also falls uh, under that uh, serving gift as well. So let's go back now, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. And we'll just, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll stay there. So in 1 first, in first Peter 4.10, he says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So that's a speaking gift, and we see these, okay? And then whoever serves as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So serving gifts, speaking gifts, gifts broken into two categories. So we see some basic principles. You've received a spiritual gift. Your gift is for someone else, and you've got to use it to be a good steward of what the Lord's given. Spiritual gifts broken, broken up into speaking gifts and serving gifts. Okay, and then the rest of verse 11, we see the fourth important principle again. Here it is. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And here's that fourth principle that we've seen already. And what is it? In the gifts, God's glorified through the manifestation of Jesus through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that occur inside the church. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus, and God is glorified in the church. And we've seen this all over and over again. It's not for the edification of, of this individual who has the gift. It's not for exalting the person who's speaking. It's for the mutual benefit of everyone. The Holy Spirit's made visible. He's exalting Jesus, and God, through Jesus' exaltation, is glorified. And just the, this is the basic principles of spiritual gifts. If those things are happening and those things are in place, What's this Corinthian church to know? If these are spiritual people, this is what's going to be going on, okay? And he knows there's lots of other stuff going on that's the opposite of this. In fact, we're going to see most of the things going on in the Corinthian church violated most of these principles. So, Paul, you'll see why Paul's here. But for us, I think it's very edifying to kind of break these gifts apart. You can kind of begin to identify perhaps some of the places where God has gifted you. Only, of course, if you've been involved in ministry. You're not going to find that information just kind of... Uh, just out there in the wind, okay? You're going to get involved, and you're going to start seeing how God has gifted you because you'll see some of the benefits of that gift. And we'll look at more of that later. So I'm kind of skipping forward. Like I told you, getting started preaching through spiritual gifts is kind of like running in sand or getting your car out in the sand. You're just kind of throwing sand everywhere, but you're moving forward a little bit, and then pretty soon you get underway. All right, now, if you would, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. We'll read through. We just read through it quickly. We'll read through, and we'll break down what we have in the time that we have left, okay? Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8. And we'll go through uh, verses 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Verse 9. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Verse 10. To another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works in all these, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. And so as Paul begins to look at these spiritual gifts, he comes back and just says, listen, the Lord is the one who distributes this in his grace. It's a grace gift. Same Spirit's working in all these things, and it's distributed to each one individually, 
according to God's sovereignty. He takes care of all this. He equips the church as it should be equipped, and he puts them just like he wants them to be. He knows what the church needs, and he knows when it needs it. As it goes along through the ages, he knows what it needs, and he gives those things to the church as he wills. So, very important language. I think, I, I think you can begin, this begins to resonate with you as you see uh, the purpose of all these things. But before we get started here, we can see Paul really continues with his illustration. This is the Holy Spirit at work in all these things. Remember, like he said in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. He just kind of comes back and just remember, the Holy Spirit's at work. Regardless of what this is, regardless of the gift that's working, it's the Holy Spirit that's empowering all of this. He's the one that gives the various ministries. He's the one that gives the various outcomes. He's the one that gives it according to his will and in the proportion of his will to each individual so they can have the ministry that the church needs at the specific point in time. All right? Now, uh, there, these are some of the wide range then as we look at this. These are some of the wide range of combinations of gifts that have been distributed. Now, let's look at the first part of verse 8. For to one, he says, is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. All right? So what's the first stop in this wide range of combinations of gifts the Holy Spirit uses for the common good of the church? First one, word of wisdom. They're, they're the Greek nouns logos, sophias. It's a speaking gift, obviously, a word of speaking of wisdom, spiritual gift of the word of wisdom. And we, we can just call it wisdom. Obviously, it is the gift of wisdom. We call it wisdom. Uh, this appears to be the ability to articulate and apply knowledge and spiritual insight gained from the scriptures to believers, obviously for the benefit of the church, right? In order to know right from wrong or what to do in a particular situation. This understanding then is from the Holy Spirit. It's given to individuals in the proportion that he determined so that that person for the church has an ability to articulate and apply the knowledge of spiritual insight, the knowledge gained, gleaned from the word, to help believers know right from wrong what to do in a particular situation. Now, just as a matter of anecdotal evidence, you've probably bumped into people like this, haven't you? You went to talk to another believer, and they were able to really distinguish from the scriptures and from their spiritual understanding how to work out your issue, right? And it's really a shame, I and just a side note, it's really a shame that the church kind of runs to... It runs to secular counselors all the time. It runs, to, you know, runs away from the church and out to the world to somehow gain spiritual insight and understanding of their own selves or difficulty or struggling with a problem or whatever. They run outside the church, and yet the Lord says he is given word of wisdom to individuals in the church who can determine what to do in a certain situation, who can know right from wrong and how to parcel all of that out. And so I'm going to give you some illustrations, and you can kind of see wisdom at work. And, you know, God has um, uh, wisdom and knowledge. We'll see knowledge next, but Paul expresses that. Remember, as we got to uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 33, remember Paul's expression as he gets done talking about how the plan of salvation has worked out. And then he says this kind of like an expression of his own soul. He says, you know, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Isn't that interesting? This first two things we're going to look at here in 1 Corinthians. But Paul says that the depths are unfathomed. God has both of these in the most untapped and fullest experience. That's kind of what you can take from that. God has wisdom, God has knowledge in the most untapped and the most full possible experience. And Paul describes the fullness of both of these as the depths, the depths, unsounded depths. What part of God's character is untapped and beyond calculation? Well, all of it, frankly, but Paul focuses on two things here. He says it's the wisdom, right? It's the wisdom, the sophias, uh, that is the application of facts, directs all things to the best end. It's the an ability to take that knowledge and apply it to the facts of the situation and say, okay, this is what needs to be done. And he has knowledge. That's the noun gnosis. That is the facts. 
God has all the facts, and he, has, he knows how to ap- apply the facts and direct all the facts to the best end. So wisdom, the application of facts, knowledge, it knows the end, the issues involved, all the facts involved in the situation. So Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We understand that, don't we? God has both in fullest excellence. So we want to know where the source of this is? Well, it comes from the Lord, because he has both in untapped excellence. He has all the facts. He knows the end. He knows all the issues involved. He directs all these things to their best end. God has an infinite capacity to know and an infinite capacity to apply that knowledge. There is nothing that God doesn't know, and everything works according to his plan. And all God's people said, amen, because you better understand that early in your life, beloved, okay? Because it's really hard for me or someone else in the ministry or somebody else who's a believer who's a friend of yours to come to your hospital room or to come to your house when you're having really difficult situations and try to convince you of the facts that are clearly visible in the Word all the way through. You need to know that by faith, that that is indeed the case, regardless of whatever the situation may be that's in your life. This is the truth. God has untapped knowledge and untapped wisdom. He knows all the facts and he knows how to apply the facts to your life and all of that falls under his sovereignty and he can take care of these issues, okay? Very important. Nothing that God doesn't know and everything works according to his plan and because that's the case then, he has the resources to empower his people in some small way by comparison, okay, of course, to minister to one another and meet one another's needs. Wouldn't you say? If he has all that untapped resource, knowledge, and wisdom untapped by us, unsounded by us, of course he knows all these things, but unsounded by these, he has all that resource, then he is able then to give to men and women, young and old, all throughout the history of God's people, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, so that they can help benefit the church. And the scripture would seem to indicate, let's just kind of look at, at, at this uh, for a few minutes, because I want to just kind of bounce on that and then not look at some applications and illustrations of scripture that help us kind of con- assimilate that, but Scripture would seem to indicate that this is a permanent edifying gift. And I'll, you're going to see this in a minute because we're going to go back into the Old Testament and see it at work and work it all the way through the New Testament. This has always been the case with God's people. It's still the case the Holy Spirit's giving this word of wisdom to God's people. Okay? And once again, there's a lot of false word of wisdom that goes on in churches across the country. Okay? And we're going to see it can be false. All right? Word of wisdom has to come up under what we understand about the Lord himself. It's going to exalt Jesus. It's going to make the Holy Spirit visible. All these things, see, we're, we're laying a foundation. So as we come to the spiritual gifts, they're not just kind of standing out there on their own. Oh, God, you know, this is what I've heard a number of times. as I've confronted people and said, well, what do you think about it? Oh, God can do whatever he wants. As if somehow the spiritual gifts are going to be out there kind of floating away from where the scripture is and what the scripture says and what we understand what's supposed to be happening in the church. Oh, God can do whatever he wants. Yes, but he always does what he says he's going to do. Okay. And he does nothing unless he reveals it, right? Do we see this all the way through? He does nothing unless he reveals it through his word. If he's going to do it, it's going to show a foundation in the word. It's not independent of what we understand about God's nature and about what he said. Okay, so all these things become our foundation we stand on. So it appears to be a permanent edifying gift and as opposed to a temporary sign gift. And we're going to identify these as we go. I just, it's really hard to know where to stop and say, okay, here they are. So I just thought I'd go through the gifts, then go back and classify them then as we can see their, their use in the scriptures. So permanent edifying gift, that appears to be what it is. Uh, there are a number of examples that we can see from scripture that can help us see the immense value of this gift and its source. So I want to take a few minutes then and do that and just kind of look and hit the high points. We won't be able to tap all of them, but I've, I've tapped enough, I think, that you can get the point. Solomon, remember, had this gift, didn't he? I think that's the first one. When we think of wisdom, we probably think of 
Solomon, if we go back far enough, we just say, and of course, the other patriarchs had uh, an ability to determine and apply the facts of what they know about God to a situation and know what to do. But we, we see Solomon, Second Chronicles 1.10, Solomon actually asks for this. The Lord uh, makes him king and it says, what can I give you? And of course, Solomon says, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can rule this great people of yours. In other words, I really need to have your wisdom, in a, understanding, assimilating your nature, what we know about you, and then applying it to the problems that we're obviously going to have in the kingdom. So I'd like wisdom, I'd like knowledge, I'd like to know all the facts so they're all in order and I can, I can give those facts to people. So he asked for those things. And verse 11 says, God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you've asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. Now that just kind of goes together with what we understand. Who's the source of all wisdom and knowledge? An untapped resource for us. It's the Lord. And Solomon, as he begins his reign, asks for those things. Now, it's not exactly one for one word of knowledge that we're talking about in the church, but it helps us build this understanding of what we're talking about in word of wisdom. Daniel had this gift. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 20, when you were with us in our study, you saw us take a look at this in depth. But for, in verse 20, it says, As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted the him, them, he found them, talking about Daniel and his friends, ten times better than all the magicians, conjurers who were in his realm. The Bible indicates that this was the Lord's doing. Because later, in Daniel's interpretation of a dream recorded for us in Daniel 2, verse 20, Daniel says this, he says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. After the king had recognized, wow, you, you are super smart. You figured this out. You, you told me exactly, you know, I, I put this test before all my conjurers and all that. Tell me what the dream is. I'm tired of you just making stuff up. Tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And so that test was weeding out everybody except for Daniel, because Daniel didn't have human wisdom and human knowledge. He had godly wisdom and godly knowledge. And so what he knew about the Lord, what he understood about the facts that came from the Lord, he was able to apply. So the king's like, wow, Daniel, great. Daniel says, hey, praise the Lord forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It's he who changes the times. It's he who changes the seasons. He removes kings. He establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men, knowledge to men of understanding. Verse 23, to you, O God my, of, of my father, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power even now. You've made, me, you've made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And so Daniel just recognizes this is a source that comes apart from his own ability. The Lord has given him wisdom and knowledge. Joseph had this gift. Acts chapter 7 verse 9 tells us that the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all of his afflictions and granted him, here it is, favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Takes what he knows about the Lord, he applies it in council and works out the issues for Pharaoh and Pharaoh recognizes that this man has a supernatural ability to determine what should be done because he's relying on, the God's, on God's nature, God's understanding, God's wisdom in order to do it. The first deacons, and I get right into the New Testament, the first deacons were chosen because they had this gift. Now check out the language here. Here's what it says. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Here it is. Full of the Spirit and of what? Wisdom. Okay, so as the deacons, as guys that were precursors to the deacons were brought forward, they had to have this God-given wisdom. They were able to know these facts, assimilate them, and work out the issues that were at hand, knowing what they know about God and about his word. Because there were some issues, weren't there? 
There were already some disturbances in this big mega church in Jerusalem, and some people weren't getting their food, and other people were getting ignored, and, and you know, the apostles were like, oh my word, if I just did that, I'd never be able to study the word and pray and be able to preach. So they just said, okay, we're going to need some guys here that are going to do some of this table waiting, if you will, and they're going to have to be guys who have a spirit of wisdom. They're going to be able to assimilate these facts and work out the problems to the right end, taking what they know about God and what he know, they know about his nature. Now, Stephen had the gift, Acts chapter 6, verse 10. Stephen is talking. What does it say about him? They were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. He was able to assimilate all these facts. He had a knowledge of the facts, and he was able to talk about those facts. He also had wisdom in order to work out these situations and point out their problems and where they had failed. And so it just infuriated everybody, but Stephen had this gift from the Lord, and so he was able to articulate this clearly. And articulating it is the issue. And it has to line up with what we know about the Lord, what we know about his spirit. Okay, It's not just kind of wisdom out there, human wisdom. It is wisdom that comes from the Lord. Paul says it's a gift you can pray for. Praise for this gift for the churches. Ephesians 1.17, he says, as he prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. There's, there's, an, there's a, a part here where we understand that you know, this is one of those greater gifts. This is one of those gifts that the Lord wants people to have. Okay? And he's not stingy about the gifts. Paul says, I pray that you will have that spirit of wisdom. The ability to assemble the facts and work out the situation to its correct end. You'll be able to say, okay, this is what needs to be done. This is what needs to be corrected. And that really is beneficial to the church, isn't it? As you bump into other individuals, whether it's over coffee or, or whatever at Acts 246, or whether it's out somewhere or here at the church, you're having trouble. You, you may talk to some uh, brother or sister in Christ who is close to you, and they, they may be able to give you that understanding. Why? Paul says, I wish that the whole church would have this gift. In Colossians 1.9, when Paul hears about their love for one another, he says this. He says, for this reason also, since I, the day we heard of it, since I heard about all your love mutually expressed to one another, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he gives some of the benefits. If that's the case in the church, then he says in verse 10 uh, that you will walk in a manner worthy of of uh, the Lord to please him in all aspects, bearing fruit in every good work and all that kind of stuff. He says, if that's the case, if the spirit of wisdom and knowledge is at work in the church and you're gaining it by degree in this gift, these are going to be some of the things that will happen. Now, again, James confirms in James 1.5, it's something we can, that can be asked for, not necessarily the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom, but certainly wisdom in general, uh, maybe not the way to, to, uh, that you could express that to someone else, but wisdom for a problem, the source is the Lord. And so, if any of you lacks wisdom, James says, what? Ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Lord. If you have a problem you're trying to work out, you can seek the Lord and say, Lord, I need wisdom about this. How many have done that? Lord, I need wisdom. Sure. I need wisdom. I need to understand what I should do. And the Lord by himself can just give you that understanding. He's the source. And again, I think it's... Um, it's one of the gifts Paul's referring to when in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, we'll see where he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And there's some other ones we're going to talk about, but I think certainly this could be uh, one that would fit that role. Ones that benefit the church, this, this uh, word of wisdom. And I'll stop right there with this next one. James 3, 17, he says, and we get to see what it looks like. If it's a spiritual gift, a, very, a spiritual speaking gift, he says this, he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, and wavering without hypocrisy. So if you've got wisdom, particularly if you have the word of wisdom, this is going to be the issue here. It's not going to be 
you know, uh, argumentative and sowing all kinds of discord. You're going to be peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, uh, without hypocrisy. Now, look at the end, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, and we'll get to that second one he's going to say. He says, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, he says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And a lot of times we see these two together. They, are, they can be differentiated, though, as we've already kind of parsed out. Word of knowledge, logos, gnosis, it's a speaking gift, obviously, uh, because you're able to articulate something particularly, but it's a little longer definition. I try to kind of take in maybe the essence of it and not just the bare bones, so you'll see it up there. Take you a minute to write it down. But basically it's this. It's a spiritual gift given to a believer so that they can understand the facts of Scripture, uh, the ability to know the truths of Scripture, if you will, both broadly and deeply, a, a comprehensive understanding of the Scriptures, which would manifest itself then it's because it's a speaking gift, and it's to benefit the church, right? So not just knowledge for itself, not just an understanding of the Word of God for itself, but what? An ability to teach and to train and to explain a passing on of those truths. The Spirit gives the ability to articulate that clearly. So a discipleship, if you will, and a, an ability to take the Word of God, to understand it comprehensively, clearly, uh, across a broad spectrum of the Word, and be able to pass that on and teach the basic principles, the doctrines, if you will, of the word of God. That's that the word of knowledge at work in the church. And again, Paul says in Romans 8, 33, right? God has that knowledge, the depth of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So the, that source of gnosis is God. It's the facts, the beginning, the end, the issues involved, all the things, a comprehensive knowledge. God has that in an untapped depth. God belongs to that. All that knowledge belongs to God, as we saw Daniel say, because that's the case then, again, he has the resources to empower his people in some small way, again, by comparison, to minister to one another and meet one another's needs. The scripture would seem to indicate, again, that this is a permanent, edifying gift. So this is a gift that's here for the church, and it's here over the long haul. So this understanding, this word of knowledge would be for the church today. Hannah recognized God as the source of knowledge. Again, uh, we'll just kind of look at some, uh, just kind of a cross-section here in just the last few minutes we have. 1 Samuel 2, 3. Hannah says this, Boast no more very proudly, do not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. In other words, don't just kind of speak and act like you know. God's the one who knows. He weighs out what you say. He's the one that has this source. Those that did the work of the tabernacle had it. This is really interesting. In, in Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 through 34, and we'll just do this quickly so uh, you can jot these down and read them later. But Moses says to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by the name of Bezalel and the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all craftsmanship to make designs for working in gold and silver and in bronze and in the cutting of stones for the setting and the carving of wood so as to perform every uh, inventive work. Catch this. He's also put in his heart to teach. So he has the knowledge See, isn't that cool? He has the knowledge, and then he has the ability to teach that knowledge that came from the Lord. Of course, he, they're designing the tabernacle. It's going to reflect the Lord's nature in, very, in, in a bunch of varied ways. And he's given this person the knowledge to do that and the ability to pass that knowledge on. So we kind of see both of those things in a very, a very uh, primitive way, but we see it at work. Leaders in Israel were given, to it, given it by God, First Chronicles 12, 32, of the sons of Issachar, men, here it is, who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. What knowledge would it be based on? It would be based on a knowledge of the understanding of who God is, and then that application of wisdom is, this is what we should do. So they had the knowledge of who God's nature, what God's nature was. They understood how that applied to the times, and they could make the people understand, okay, what's our next step? 
So actually, you, know, you kind of see that, that dynamic at work. Solomon, again, given it by God, 2 Chronicles 1.12, wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. You know, God is the source. Psalm 34.10 says, he who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge, he's the one who teaches and gives the ability to have this knowledge and have the word then to give it out. The Lord knows the thoughts of men. They are a mere breath. And yet he uses you, beloved, and uses me in this word of knowledge inside the church to disciple and to encourage, and we help each other along the way, don't we? Because none of us has arrived yet, have we? But we, you, know, you may bump into somebody who has this, this knowledge, a comprehensive knowledge of the scripture, they can pass it on to you. That doesn't mean they've, they've, uh, they've assimilated all of it. That means they're standing firm in every possible area, but they can pass that on and we grow together, don't we? Because God's the one who has the ultimate knowledge, doesn't he? And he weighs out the thoughts and hearts of men. So, uh, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I like that. In other words, there's a lot of knowledge out there, but it's not coupled with the fear of the Lord, that it's not true knowledge, is it? A lot of people have some knowledge and can pass it on. But true knowledge is starts, with, starts with the fear of the Lord. Godly knowledge is, the only, is only going to come after the fear of the Lord. That's, that spiritual gift in the church is going to start with the fear of the Lord. And that he has the right to deal with us however he pleases. And deal with our sin however he wants to. And that, at the very basis, is a fear relationship. That's the true understanding of who God is and his mighty power. But then that grace relationship comes in and moderates that whole thing. And we can break out in praise because God has bridge the gap for us, hasn't he, through Jesus. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, meditation on the word, obviously, is the key. Proverbs 2, 1 through 7, still in the Old Testament. See, uh, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. This is a desire and pursuit of this, isn't it? Of the understanding, of the wisdom, of the knowledge that comes from uh, the Lord himself and from his word. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of what? Knowledge. And it leads to and discover, you know, the knowledge of God. That's the source of all knowledge. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield uh, to those who walk in integrity. So nobody's going to have this gift unless they start with the fear of the Lord and they move on from there and the Lord gives those things that we need. In the last days, the Lord's going to give uh, Israel shepherds uh, the spiritual gift, Jeremiah 3.15, talking about the last days. Uh, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Israel, that we pray for their peace, we pray for their salvation, is going to have the knowledge that it needs to give out to the people so that they walk appropriately. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had this gift, Daniel 1.17. As for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, jump into the New Testament. Paul tells Timothy, there's going to be some who falsely claim the gift of this word of knowledge. Of course, we're going to see this in Corinth as well. But um, let's back up. 1 Timothy 6.20. There we go. He says this, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called what, beloved? So if there's an argumentative kind of person, he always wants to argue about words, and he's got some things, some little nuance, and wants to make sure that, you know, this is the way it's got to be, whatever, that's falsely called knowledge, okay? Empty chatter, opposing arguments. Listen, the Lord's the one who gives knowledge, and, that, and we see further there that uh, the fruit of that godly knowledge is peace, isn't it? See, so you can kind of discern what's going on there, and, and uh, Corinth, uh, Corinth could discern that as well. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, 
there's indicated in scripture a growing in knowledge that occurs for every believer this is really great again we kind of see the same thing with wisdom paul praying for the church to have wisdom look at this as it deals with knowledge now for this very reason also applying all diligence so this is you bringing your volition to the table okay you've come to faith the lord has brought you into his household you are adopted as sons and as you understand this you apply all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence so, hey, Lord, Lord, just make me pure. And then you continue to take in all the stuff of the world and wonder why you're failing all the time. Hey, you've got to bring this to the table. By the Holy Spirit's power, you'd never have any effect at all on, your, on what you're doing without the Holy Spirit there. But you're kind of bringing this to the table. Hey, you know what? I'm going to apply all diligence, and I'm going, to, I'm going to seek after this moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, here it is, knowledge. So continuing assimilation of what the Word of God says, a, a, a comprehensive understanding as you read it and begin to you know, assimilate all the, all the words and how they cross-reference each other and all the, the other places in the Word that talk about it. And in your knowledge, self-control. And so the more you know about the Word of God, what? The more you hold up the Holy Standard, and that becomes what you're reading off of. And you say, okay, what should I be doing? Okay, this is what I should be doing. This is what the Word, the word of God says to do. And uh, self-control is going to be part of that. And perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. And you can kind of see this. It's kind of this building of what's going on as you bring this into, into play. And if all these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's why we can say, and that's what we said last time, and remember, as believers are growing in sanctification, they begin to look like they have more and more spiritual gifts, don't they? But it's only because the word of God is being assimilated into their life. Now, they may have the word of knowledge, and they may not have some of the other gifts, but they may look like they have a lot of the other gifts. They may show mercy and hospitality, and they maybe have a gift. It looks like they have the gift of helps because they're really concerned about what's going on. But it's only because they're being sanctified by the word of God. See? 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and and to the day of eternity, amen. Grow in grace and grow in knowledge. So this is assimilating of knowledge, assimilating of the word and understanding of the word. And it, it, may, it may be part of what helps you in the word of knowledge. It may just be part of the knowledge you need to grow. Now let's just be clear, and we're going to close with this, okay? Let's just be clear. After those illustrations, knowledge, beloved, is used almost 200 times in the New Testament, okay? We didn't even come close to touching every passage that has the word in it. It can be human knowledge. It can be something that looks like knowledge, but isn't really. It can be used in parallel with salvation, that men will come to the knowledge of the truth. What's that? That's salvation. Okay, so it can be used that way. But in this case, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, we're talking about a word of knowledge, Paul says, which is a spirit-given gift, which you wouldn't have if you weren't born again, of an understanding of the facts of Scripture. The ability to know the truths of Scripture broadly, deeply, comprehensively, which then would manifest itself in teaching and training and explaining and passing on that doctrine to other people. And again, wisdom. Used more than 50 times in the New Testament. We didn't even come close to touching all of those. It can be human wisdom about worldly things. It can be something that is false wisdom. But in this case, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, we're talking about a word of wisdom which is a special spirit give, gift given in order for that individual to be able to apply the knowledge and spiritual insight gained from the scriptures to believers to be able to clearly articulate right from wrong and what to do in some particular situation. The Lord gives both those gifts. 
for the benefit of the church, not for the benefit of the individual. It's not to exalt them. It's not to magnify some person. It's to make the Holy Spirit known and Christ exalted. Okay? It's going to be clear and it's going to be obvious what's going on there. The Lord has provided for the church what it needs to do what it needs to do and to take care of the problems that will come up inside of the gifts he's given you. Romans 12, 6 says, since we have gifts, it's a stated fact, isn't it? We have gifts. It's in the accusative. You have gifts, okay? And they differ. That's that adjective that modifies the noun. It's as stated as a fact. We all have gifts. Each gift differs in its manifestation from another. Like we said last week, each gift has been given by God in a measure of faith that animate that gift. God portions it all out in his own sovereignty, according to his own will. We saw last week there are various ministries, various outcomes, just as God has ordained all of that, just as he's desired, so his church can be complete. And it's all according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise that accordingly. And Paul just repeats that over and over again. This is a grace gift, God-given channels, if you will, for every believer, sovereignly designed for every Christian, for the common good. My gifts are not for me, they're for you. Your gifts are not for you, they're for others in the church, okay? And that's how it goes. It's God's, God's church, his rules, this is how it works. He gives some standard, how you can identify it. And he says, listen, you have been given a gift in the accusative. They differ, use it. I heard a great illustration the other day, and I saw it illustrated. We're going to close with this. I saw it illustrated um, at Awana on Wednesday. And when you go in with the, with the puggles and the little guys, you, you'll see this. But have you ever played Simon Says? Yeah. Of course, some of the kids are going, you know, some of the kids that didn't play it in a while are like, no, is there an app for that? You know, is that on my phone or whatever? And I find someone says, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're used to doing what Simon says, right? When you play it as a kid, you know, Simon says, pat your head. Simon says, you know, rub your tummy. Simon says, two steps forward, you know, and then you just say, two steps forward. And then, it, ah, you know, you're out, you know. Here's the thing. We do what Simon says, but we just memorize what Jesus says. Go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. We know it. Are you? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. Be kind to one another, forgiving each other, Ephesians 4, 32. We know that. All my boys had to learn that. I mean, they know that. They sing song at back to me. What's four, you know, right after they get through punching their brother. What's Ephesians 4, 32 say? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Yeah. We memorize what Jesus says. We do what Simon says. Except Jesus said that, didn't he? Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Romans 12, 6. Jesus says, are you doing that? But each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Jesus says that. Are you memorizing that? Are you doing it? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for a great time together in the Word. Thank you together uh, for the great time together in giving and in praying and in singing. Uh, my heart was so encouraged as I just joined with the congregation and sang the praises we sang earlier. Just, um, just reminded it was much like the eternal state's going to be. What a joy that's going to be as we enter into worship of, of Jesus. We are just going to be drawn together in spirit and just overjoyed. And as we read these passages that deal with how the church is to help each help itself and to be uh, ministered to by itself and benefited, Lord, I just pray that you'll just have your will here. Apply what we've learned 
individually. Help us to begin to identify perhaps what these gifts are that you've given us. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we just need to plug in and begin to see you do work and, and have fruit bore. It's not, it's not complex. It's simple. Where there's a need, fill it. Plug yourself in somewhere. See where the Lord's gifted you. He'll begin to make it clear. Lord, I just pray that you'll do your work there through us. Help us, as we learned as kids, to do what Simon says. Help us to remember that we do what Jesus says, not just memorize what Jesus says. Help us to remember that we're sitting on a really vast wealth of, a lot of times, untapped resource for kingdom purposes. Just what would it be like if all of us began to use and exercise the gifts that you've given in their fullest capacity, with diligence, as Romans 12 says, doing our ministry with diligence. What would the church look like? What, the, what would the ministries in the church look like? We wouldn't have any lack in any of the classes. We wouldn't have any lack in giving. We wouldn't have any lack in, in those people, be, people being plugged in to, to do outreach. There'd be no lack at all. In fact, there'd be, we'd be multiplying opportunities because you'd be bringing people uh, as they came who would see, hey, we need to be doing this, and I'm going to do it. So, Father, I pray to just have your will here as we wait on your son. Help us not to be idle, but to be useful for your purposes. For it's a stewardship that we have, just like our body, just like our, our money, just like everything we have. It all belongs to you. You've given it to us, and you measure how we use it. And you'll someday evaluate that very carefully at the Bema Seat Judgment. So help us to be, but that to be a rejoicing time. And when the fire tests all that we do, help there be, to be much gold, silver, and costly stone remaining. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.